This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish in the Anglican Church of North America in Houston, Texas. Find us online at holytrinityrec.org. Find us on Facebook as Holy Trinity Houston, and on Twitter and Instagram as Holy Trinity REC. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. These words outline the theme of the first part of 2 Samuel chapter 15. The aftermath of how Absalom responded to his father's pardon. His actions serve to us as a twofold caution. One, what we mostly will hear from the crowd that wants to place human limitations on forgiveness and grace. And secondly, what our collect prayer for this Sunday stated, that we need to ask things that shall please God. Our faith in Jesus Christ is tested repeatedly by the types that say you must earn your salvation that use examples such as Absalom from the Bible to justify acting like little gods rather than sinners themselves in need of forgiveness. Granting pardon to those that repent to us as commanded by Christ requires the difficult work post-forgiveness of discipleship, of guiding the forgiven into total reliance upon Jesus Christ day after day. This morning, let us renew our hope in our Savior Christ that forgives us of so much and calls us to forgive others. Verses 1 through 6 of our Old Testament reading speaks of how the son of David, Absalom, started working against his father. A warning sign comes with verse 1 where Absalom procured a chariot and horses along with 50 people to run before him. His return to good graces with his father did not result in gratitude or humility. Rather, it turned into the pride of self-promotion. This was in stark contrast to the humility of David. His pride quickly turned into seeking allegiance from God's people. On their way to seeking the king's counsel in terms of contentious issues, Absalom, as he read, would stop them at the gate and persuade them that David really didn't have time to hear their needs, and that if only his father would appoint someone to fill this role. And he deceived the people, turning them away. And this was obviously false, as we read in the last chapter that the woman from Tekoa was able to come to the king in his presence to speak. Absalom used a falsehood to slowly turn the hearts of Israel to him and away from David. For the self-righteous that think that seek every way possible to withhold pardon and forgiveness, this action of Absalom serves as an excuse to say, see what happens when you don't make a person jump through enough hoops before you forgive them. Our world is all about making those that hurt us feel as low as possible with little to no hope. Increasingly, our culture resembles 
the unforgiving servant that we read about in the Gospels. Even though one is forgiven of an unforgivable debt, the norm today is to squeeze every bit of vengeance upon, out of others that make mistakes and sin against us to the point that there is now no hope of change, of redemption, and pardon. Unfortunately, this is not just a problem of our secular culture. Such is found also throughout the Christian church, placing human stipulations upon forgiveness that resemble more the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees that arrested Jesus than what Jesus actually commanded. No matter how much we try to devise multi-point lists of how to become a better person, how to save ourselves from future harm by others, we will fail. All the get well programs this world offers all have this in common, that if you try hard enough, you too can break yourself free of whatever causes trouble in your life. The tale of Absalom is not for the self-righteous to scream that David did not protect himself enough with stipulations to demand of his son before he forgave him. The work of God's grace is not our work. It is his work given freely through the finished work of Christ. The means we come to this is by his grace through faith in him alone to save us. Asking for his mercy through repentance. Humbly asking for the help to love him and to love others. It is about gratitude through the lens of the forgiven sinner that finally realizes that he or she does not have the power to earn forgiveness. Absalom, as we have read today, obviously did not have gratitude, even though his father forgave him of so much, just like the parable of the prodigal son. All the years he spent in exile and waiting for forgiveness were not in an earnest hope of such to happen but rather, as it turns out, were calculated to take advantage of his father. Yet it is not for the people of God to fret about such possibilities to the point that we refuse forgiveness just in case the repentance is not sincere or real. We don't have the power to look into the hearts of other human beings. Only God has created us in his image, and only God has that power. If we go around acting like we have the ability to look within the hearts of others to make godlike decisions about the sincerity of their repentance, we've ceased following the path of Scripture, blazed with the love of men such as David, culminating with Christ for all of us, all of us that are 100% incapable of pure sincerity. We are called in 1 Corinthians 13 to hope all things, to believe all things, especially regarding the call to forgive. It is not for us to decide the sincerity of the repentance, but rather to place our own lives by faith into God's hands as we take that most hard step to do the difficult thing to forgive over the easy pagan way of withholding forgiveness and canceling the person out of vengeance and hatred. The last part of our reading today in verses 7 through 12 speaks of what happened after four years of this conspiracy of Absalom against his father, that this conspiracy took root 
it grew strong. Absalom's motivation was to gain the throne before the proper time through ungodly and unauthorized means. As we have seen with his life up to this point, this man was one that made it a habit in his life to do as he pleased when he pleased. Absalom shared the pride of King Saul and a penchant for conducting unauthorized actions. We live with the same temptations to do the things we deem fit when we want it, placing ourselves above God's authority structures. We have to ask ourselves with every point in our lives, will my words, will my actions be seen as impatient, taking matters into my own hands, or even rebellious? See, pride blinds us. It must be the constant prayer of all Christians to ask God to purge us of our pride. Pride moves us to rebel. The pride of Absalom made him think he was justified to kill his brother, defying his father's authority. His pride caused him to defy his father subtly by taking the hearts of the people through persuading them that he could do a better job. He even used the undeserved forgiveness of his father to stoke his pride, driving him to want more and more rather than to be content in the state of life he found himself. By asking his father if he could go to Hebron, Absalom set the stage to take the throne. From a human-centered perspective, Absalom was a hard worker. He was patient. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps, overcoming the fact that he had a brother in front of him that was heir to the throne, and then even years of banishment. Every step of the way, though, for him was based upon rebellion against his father. He even used his father's consistency to forgive to his advantage in accomplishing his goal to take the throne. One of the issues we must resist as Christians are worldly Christians that try to persuade us that at all costs we must protect ourselves look out for number one, and so forth, in terms of how we treat those that have sinned against us. God calls us to contentment in his grace to act according to his commandments, not according to the way this world operates. Yes, in this world, we will run into Absaloms all the time. For David, this was not his first go-round with this type of person that, once forgiven, will stab you in the back. His heart-wrenching experience with this behavior from King Saul did not persuade David to suddenly change and take a pagan approach to sinners through refusing forgiveness, but rather the opposite of a consistent loving policy towards those that sinned against him. It is our constant temptation as Christians to justify ways to find loopholes in the commandments of Jesus Christ. We do it all in all sorts of ways. We can place politics and our leaders above our fidelity to Christ and his word. We can place all the things of this world above our faithfulness to the ways of the Lord, to the points every word of God is answered with a but this or that. Yet the lesson of God's word we should all take supreme comfort in, just as the many martyrs that have gone before us have taken, is that we are to fear God over man and what man threatens to do to the body. 
In the end, with eternity at stake, what matters is our fidelity to God above all the worldly things and ideas pulling us toward placing the here and the now as more important. Absaloms will take advantage of us as Christians. Absaloms will hurt us in a most bitter fashion that is part of the Christian life, that is part of what it means to bear the cross. Sometimes it takes years for God to help us through such times as occurred with David dealing with the first time Absalom hurt the entire family through murder. And even after this long period that culminated with David forgiving Absalom, he hurt him again. The world will sell the lie to us that Absalom teaches us that we should trust our heart, our instincts, and every other sinful device when dealing with those that have harmed us. The world teaches us that forgiveness should only be used to enact as much payback as we can as a condition for our forgiveness. The world teaches us that the way of Jesus is soft and it is not successful. The world teaches us that Jesus did not really mean it when he said, turn the other cheek, love your enemies. The world will teach us that David was really just an idiot that did not look out for number one by being a forgiving man. The world tells us to be so cynical that we will see every person we encounter as a possible Absalom with some conspiracy up his sleeve and that we are therefore to disobey the words of Christ in favor of self-protection. If we take up this mantle to protect self from the conspiring forces of the world, the flesh, and the devil, the Absaloms of this world, we will be in disobedience to our Lord. Instead of the worldly means of protection, we are naturally inclined to adopt our call as to see that only God can protect us in the eternal sense. Yes, we may think we can save ourselves through looking out for ourselves. But in the end, such only lasts for the few years we have here, and that we find in the end in the act of ignoring Christ to save our pride by treating others in a worldly sense means that we have given up eternity. Is eternity without God and his loving presence worth these few years to boost self and pride to disobey God when it comes to people in our lives that act like a Saul or an Absalom? This life in Christ will not be easy. And Jesus promised that it would not be easy. It is not easy because we will face those that hate us. Even people in our own families, such as an Absalom. Forgiveness is the means God calls us to as David obeyed and yes, suffered. Because he was betrayed repeatedly. Jesus died for all of us that betray him every time we sin. Yet we repent, we confess, we come back to his table asking for his gracious help and mercy. All the while, through his grace, we grow and learn, coming closer and closer to him in love through the harshness that comes with getting hurt by others that take advantage of us as Absalom did to his father. The call for us as Christians is long-suffering for the hope that the people we minister to in our lives will someday finally hear the gospel 
and will finally turn to Jesus Christ in sincerity. God will, in the end, deal with those that take advantage of us in his timing, just as he did with Saul, just as he did with Absalom. Our call through it all is to love and pray for our enemies and to forgive when called upon, but to remain obedient to God through it all, never allowing ourselves to get dragged down into the sins of those that sin against us. Remember, even though David forgave Saul repeatedly, he still had to distance himself by hiding. In his hiding, he did not do the worldly thing to lash back at his oppressor. Rather, he waited on God in prayer. When we, when we in our lives deal with repeat offenders, we must wait on God in prayer and constantly offer the gospel of forgiveness to them out of love as David, seeking to preserve all to live and serve God, both by not harming Saul and even living in exile for a time. See, forgiveness is commanded for us as Christians that have been forgiven an unforgivable debt, tempered with obedience to God to live by his word. For David, this meant living away from Saul so he could live in obedience and not take matters into his own hands. Often with repeat offenders, the only way we can truly forgive is to be apart for a time so that we do not get dragged down to their level to respond to their sin with sin. Love is never easy. May we learn from David, shunning all pride and obedience to Christ alone, to be a forgiving people, as well as a people that put all into the hands of God. Amen.